All right, Matthew 22, if you have your Bibles there. I want to share a thought about the kingdom of heaven. And we talk about the kingdom and what the kingdom is, and I don't think uh, the church has really understood the kingdom and the importance of the kingdom and what the kingdom has to do with everything. Because we're taught to think church, whereas we're not supposed to think church. We're supposed to think kingdom, which is different to church. Um, give you a very, very brief history, and this is very brief. I mean, the word church actually comes from an Irish word, um, which is actually talks about a pagan gathering. The word that Jesus used, the word that is used throughout the New Testament, is actually assembly, a gathering together. Assembly is a more accurate word than what church is. Um, church actually draws from a couple of pagan Irish festivals um, where they come together and do some things that you really wouldn't want to be doing, especially in church. Um, the problem they had was is that the word assembly is to deal with governance and authority. And when they translated the Bible, and you really have to put this in context, when they translated the Bible, um, it was usually under the direction of the kings. Um, the King James Version was at the direction of King James of England at that time, wanted the Bible translated. But it actually wasn't the first translation into English that was done. It was actually done into English before that. And the king of the time um, obviously wasn't happy with the translation being in there that was about governance. Because, you see, if they saw the Bible... So you've got to get back into the whole religious system of the time. It was a lot about control. And so the system of the time is if they used the word assembly of governance rather than church, then it was about saying the king is not the highest authority. And they didn't like that. So the translators thought, we don't want to upset what you've done. And so you know, we don't upset the king because you upset the king, you lose your head. Not just your job. So they picked up on this Irish word of church and used that instead of what should be an assembly of governance. So when we talk about the church all the way through, the word ecclesia means the assembly of governance. It's the same as the word baptism, if you really want to go into a little bit of history. You know, baptism is not an English word. But the problem they had was that um, King James had only been sprinkled, not baptised. And if they used the word immerse, which would have been more correct, rather than baptise, you know, repent and be immersed would be how we would say it. But King James hadn't been immersed, he'd been sprinkled and that would have upset him and they didn't want to lose their heads either. So the translators put the word baptism in. Isn't that fun, the history that goes into this? Can you trust what you read in the Bible? Yes, you can. But sometimes you need to dig a little bit deeper. And if we really understood what church was, that church is not a people gathering together, that church was actually us assembling together to govern in the heavenlies, we would understand that church is not about us and about us here. Church is actually, you know, because we'll keep using the word church because we understand it. You know what I mean? Um, but church is actually about us gathering together to govern in the heavenlies. 
that it's actually about the kingdom of heaven. That that's what the ecclesia is. Ecclesia is the, the term for church, is what we translate into church. But it's actually about governing as an assembly. And so it's really having a kingdom mentality, not a worldly mentality. That when we come together, it's not about, oh, I want to come in, I want to get fed, I want to get a bit of this and, and move on. It's actually about coming, coming together to step into heaven to govern as a body. That's what the word ecclesia means. And so Jesus is talking in this parable and he says about the kingdom of heaven. Let me read the, the whole thing to you. <clears throat> Matthew 22 verse 1. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding and they were not willing to come. So he goes out into where all the nobles are and the, the friends of the king and the princes of the land and he says, Come on in, we're having a big... Wedding, we're having a celebration. You know, last year, we had, last night, sorry, last year, last night, you know, we had a 21st and Shara celebration. There's dots on the walls and there's lights on the roof and everywhere else, it seems. You know, we mowed the lawns. <laughs> Clean things that hadn't been cleaned in a very long time. And we had a celebration. And who did we invite? We invited Shara's friends. Her family, those in her world, same thing here. But they weren't willing to come. So again he sent out his servants saying, Tell those who are invited, see I prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatted calf are killed, all things are ready, come to the wedding. Remember this is the king inviting the people of the land. <coughs> they owe their livelihood to the king. They owe their existence, their protection to his goodness. But they made light of it and went their ways out in their own farm and other to his business. And the rest seized his servants and treated them spitefully and killed them. When the king heard about it, he was furious and sent out his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. And then he sent out his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who are invited are not worthy. Therefore go into the highways and as many as you find invite to the wedding. So the servants went out to the highways and gathered together all who they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who didn't have a wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you not come in here with a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen." You know, every day, stay with me, there we go. Every day our Father prepares a feast. And every day he bids us to come and celebrate his life and his goodness, walking in joy. Every day we can taste and eat the fruits of heaven. It's not just when we come together, but it's every day. We can walk in his presence. We can abide in his presence. We can actually feast on the goodness of God every single day. And yet when the Holy Spirit calls us, how do we respond? How do we respond? Jesus was talking, we talked this parable, he was talking about the Father and that he was there for the wedding. He was the groom. 
and he was calling in the people to come and celebrate with heaven. But it says in verse 5, they made light of it. They made light of the invitation and they went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. Each of the people went about their own desires. If you go to Luke 14, it talks about a similar thing. He says, look, you know, I've bought a couple of oxen. I want to try them out. If you want to take the equivalent, it's like saying, you know, I just bought myself a new car and I want to take it for a spin, so I don't really want to come to the wedding because I want to take it for a big drive in the country. Or, you know what, I don't want to come to the wedding because I've got a new phone and I want to check out all the you know, photos it takes and, you know, check out, put the new apps on and check out what's on there. I want to go chase some, po- chase some Pokemon somewhere or, you know. Or maybe it's, you know, I've had a really hard week and so I just want the day off. I don't really want to go to a wedding. And, and it's the same with God. He comes to us and he says, hey, come and hang out with me. Come and be in my presence. Come and eat of my goodness. I've got wealth and riches. I just want to pour my spirit into you. I want to refresh you. I want to fill you. I want to encourage you. I want to, I want to just hang with you. And we go, but I want to take my car for a drive. I'll just check what's happening on Facebook. Oh, what's on the, what's on the TV? Oh, I don't want to get out of bed. Oh, I've had a hard day. It's so long. And we don't hang out with the king. And we take the king for granted. You know, none of these things is bad, except when they stop us coming to the king, when they stop us coming to the father. You know, throughout history, over and over and over, we've seen revivals, we've seen the Holy Spirit poured out, we've seen God move. And after a time, they start to wane, they start to slow, they start to disappear. And if you read historians as they go back through and look at it, they say things like, people stopped praying, people got comfortable. And Deuteronomy actually warns that. Right back in when the Israelites were, were walking around and you know they're coming into the promised land and and God gives this warning through Moses and he says, Listen, when I bring you into this land filled with milk and honey, he said, When you're living in your house and your belly is full, your fields are planted, your work is done, everything's looking wonderful. We would take that to, you know, you've got your job, you've got your car, life is good, you're feeling content, things are okay. He says, do not forget the Lord your God. And how often do we see that? I know, I know in pastoring a church you see it all the time. You see people come into the church and, and they're broken and they're, they're in a hopeless situation and they're going, you know, I just, I've got nothing. And, and you see they discover Jesus and they get saved and they, or they give their life back to God and they start to, to grow in him and he starts to bless them and they find his truth and they grow and they get to a point and it's like, I'm okay now. 
And suddenly there's something else they've got to do rather than meeting together. Or they start to turn up every second or every third week or you know, they're getting later and later as they come in on a, on a Sunday or wherever it is. And they start to, you know, oh, they've got a job now, they've got this now, they've got that now. And they get to a point of being content. And they actually miss the fullness of what God has for them because they get content. And content is only a bad thing if you stay there. Paul says, be content with what you've got. Yes, be content with what you've got, but understand that's not the end of the journey. That where you are is just the beginning of what is ahead of you. The journey that God has for you starts where you are. And you have a choice. You know, that whole passage ends with many are called, but few are chosen. And I actually believe that everybody's called. But the chosen actually depends on you. I've seen it so often where people are, you know, they have, everybody has gifts, they have abilities, they have talents, and they step into God and they discover a bit of it and, and God starts to release them and, and to, to bless them and to bless what they have. And suddenly they go, this is fantastic, and they stop walking and hanging out with God. And they jump into what they have. And they run down this path and they miss what God would have done with them. That he had this calling on their life to step into something. But they were so, oh, this is so good. And they got so focused on themselves and took their eyes off him that they missed what he had chosen for them to do. Or other people who, who get afraid, they start to, to step into what God has for them and, and they go, oh, I'm not, and they lose control because they understand that to step into everything God has for them means you've got to lose control. You have to let go. Because you see, God knows the desires of your heart. He knows what is deep down inside you. And he wants you to step into everything he made you to be. But the only way you can do that is actually by letting go. Because I can guarantee you, he actually will not achieve it the way you think you can achieve it. Because if you can achieve it, it's not God. Do you know that? If you can do it, then why do you need God? But God has actually so much more then you can ask, think, dream, or imagine. That's how Ephesians 3.20 says that. He sees life like the, the most that you can dream is only a drop in a bucket compared to how God sees what you can do. But our problem is that we miss out on what God has for us to do because we try and control it. And we try and take over. You know, Taj was saying, you know, we think God's going to do it this way or that. And the amount of times I hear people, and, you know, they're going to God and, and God starts to put a dream or a vision in them and then they start telling God how to do it. It doesn't work like that. He is going to do it in a way that you do not really understand. He is going to do it in a way that you have to sit back and go, oh, it's God. Because I can't. 
But I think the problem with most of us is that we are trying to control how God does it. Our job is not to do it. Our job is to abide in him and let his word abide in us. Seriously? Abide in him. But seriously, our job is to abide in him and then to do whatever he tells us to do. Then you can become, but you see, a big part of that is you have to let go of control. And we're too busy trying to control God because everything in our life, everything in this world says you have to do it this way. And we actually miss the blessing. We miss what God wants to do because we are trying to do what we can think, what we can see, what we can imagine, the way we think it should be. Actually, the way to do it, the way to get in on the feast and what God has for you, the way to step into being chosen is actually to let go and abide in him. Matthew says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his way of living, abiding in him, and he will add it all to you. It's his job to do the adding. It's his job to make it happen. It's our job to abide in him. I like as you read further down in the passage we read today, and, and you know, those who the king first calls that don't come. The ones who he expected to be there have stopped abiding with him, have stopped hanging out with him, have stopped being in his presence. And so he says to the servants, okay, go and find anybody you can, essentially. He says, go out to the places where the rejected are, where the unloved are, the unwanted are, and bring them in. And I love that they all come in and it says the bad and the good. See, we all think, I can't do that. Even as Christians, the amount of people, Christians are here, oh, you know, oh, I can't hang out with God, you know, I'm just too bad. No, no, I'm sorry. Jesus died for you. He died so that you could come to the feast. He died so that you could hang out with God. If you're trying to get good enough to hang out with God, you're going to fail every time. But you know what? When the bad and the good were in that room, you couldn't tell the difference because there was one key factor that happened. That when you came into the feast of the king of the time, you see in that time when Jesus is talking about the wedding in that culture, when you came into the wedding, it didn't matter what you were wearing, they would give you a robe. And you would put on this robe so that everybody was not necessarily dressed the same, but essentially dressed the same. And that would be a beautiful wedding robe. And it was the garment that you wore for the wedding. And they would celebrate for a week, sometimes two weeks. And they'd party on. But every time you came into the feast, you had to wear this robe. You see, when you come into God, when you step into his presence, he gives you his robe of righteousness. It doesn't matter whether you're good or bad. Everybody's equal when you come into the presence of God because he clothes you in his righteousness. So you can come and abide with him. It doesn't matter if you just completed a heinous sin before you walked in the door here. 
You confess that sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That means he gives you your robe of righteousness the moment you confess it. (coughs) And you are righteous. And you can abide in him and still become all that he made you to be. Because he sees you clothed. There's one person at the feast who hasn't got the robe on. And he gets kicked out. And I was meditating, going, what's that about, God? Why is this person there without the robe? And that's the person who's trying to control everything. Who's saying, you know what? I don't want to do it your way. I want to do it my way. I want, I want all that God offers, but I want it my way. You can't have it that way. When you come to the king's feast, you do it the way the king says. That's pride. Pride is saying, you know what? I do know better than God. I know how this should happen. I've got this all worked out. I'm, you know, it's okay, God. I'm going to, you know, it's that prayer of, you know, God, I'd like this. And so if you could just do this and this and this and this to make that happen. And yeah, we laugh because we all do it. You know, it's, a great example, I'll pick the party yesterday. You know, Shara's, I mean, Friday was a perfect night for the party. It was actually warm. It was about 18 degrees. It was, it was warmish. It was no rain. It was fantastic. Saturday, it rained. And now, something about our backyard is this, is when they, when they built the downpipes, you know, you, you build soak wells now when you build a house. And they're big drums. They're like a big drum that they put into the ground here because it's sand. And the idea is the water goes into there, sort of sits in this drum when it's a heavy rain, and then it filters out through the sand pretty quickly. Well, when they built this house and they built the downpipes, they didn't build a drum. There's just a pipe that continues on into the ground about so far. So this half a metre pipe is useless when there's a downpour because it fills up really quickly, which means it then overflows if you take our pergola, our patio, it then floods because there's not enough to hold this water. And so we were concerned that if there was heavy rain like was forecast yesterday, we'd have a flood. And even though you know, we've got it all secured off from the rain actually coming in, it doesn't stop that there's downpipes along there that will flood the patio. And so we're praying and saying, you know, speaking to the clouds and telling the weather to do this and that and at the same time, you know, blessing the party. We were telling God how we wanted it to be. But you know what? We worked out that God had a better plan. We worked that after the party. Because you see, we did have a couple of downpours yesterday. We did have a flood out there. You know, it cleared up by the time the party started and then towards the end of the party it flooded again because there was another downpour. But it did an interesting thing. That there are, Shara made a decision at her 21st that she didn't want to spend the whole time cleaning up vomit, as often happens at 21st, because people come, they drink too much, they vomit everywhere, and who cleans it up? The host. Lovely, isn't it? So she said, you know what, I'm not having alcohol at my party. I want to have fun. And so she ordered, you know, she organised a, a swing dance couple to come in and teach swing dancing for most of us were there. And, 
you know, have a good time and just have a real party and dancing and so on. So when she said no alcohol, some of her friends sort of went, oh, because, you know, you can't have fun without alcohol apparently. And so with the rain coming, what it did was it kept out certain people who went, I didn't really want to go because there's no alcohol anyway, so the rain's my excuse. And so when it came to the party last night, it did two things. One, the rain brought everybody inside. So you sort of had to dance or be a part of it, which is what Shara wanted. The second thing it did was it kept out the people who sort of went, oh, this is lame, I don't want to be a part of this, and would have gone elsewhere and dragged other people with them and dragged down the atmosphere. You see, we're, we're going, oh, we don't want it to rain, and God's going, look, it's not about the rain, it's actually about the celebration. Do you want a good party or not? See, if we'd stepped into, okay, God, what are you doing here, and let God be God rather than telling him how we wanted it done, And he did, you know, and we had a fantastic night and everybody joined in and we all got to celebrate together because it rained, that the rain actually added to the party rather than taking it away, that it kept out the elements we didn't want and brought in the celebration. You see, when you get into God's way of doing it, it's going to be different to how you see it. And we've got to stop telling God how to have a party. We've got to stop telling God how to live life and actually start to abide in him and say, what are you doing here? What's your heart? And then pray what he puts on your heart, not how. And there's a key difference. Because how he does things will bring glory to him. How he does things will bring prosperity and blessing into your life. How he does things, he says, he takes the foolish things and makes fools of the wise. That's our God. But he does it his way. The key we have is we have to abide and not get comfortable. We have to stop going, you know what? It's fine. It's enough. I'm good. And pushing in for more because God has a whole lot more. But he chooses life on his terms. Our job is just to turn up, put on the robe and eat the goodness. Yeah? I want to encourage you. Go back through what you're praying for, through what you're believing for. Are you hanging out with God still? Or have you let these things become more important? Are you hanging out with God and seeing things through his eyes? Or are you trying to bring him down to your level? Get his perspective. Get his wisdom. And do what he says. Our job is to abide and to be in his presence and eat his goodness. Everything else is his. Yeah? Let's pray. Father, we bless you. We thank you we can come into the feast. We can abide in your presence. We can eat of your fatty goodness. 
Lord, I thank you that you're the party kind of God. You're the celebration God. That you're the abundance. That we can taste of your goodness. Lord, I pray you continue to teach us to abide in you more and more. That it be less of us and all of you. We want to bless you and honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.